0: Alrighty. Want to go ahead and read the thing for us?
1: Alrighty. On the Caribbean island of Martinique, Carnival is a week-long party made up of parades, music, dancing, and nonstop eating and drinking. In March of 1902, in the bustling seaside town of Saint-Pierre, thousands of revelers celebrated by putting on costumes, marching in parades, and dancing for hours at a time. But one of the revelers, 19-year-old old Luger Sibaris, wasn't feeling too festive. In fact, he was trying to lay low. A a petty criminal, he'd recently liberated himself from the town jail and was planning to leave town as soon as possible, after the next glass of rum, that is. That glass led to another and another, and sometime after midnight, Luger became involved in a fistfight that turned into a full-on brawl. When the fight was over, a French soldier lay dead on the barroom floor, and Lugier was once again under arrest. Knowing his talent for jailbreaking and the seriousness of the murder charge, the military remanded Lugier to their most secure solitary confinement cell. Half buried in the inner courtyard of the jail and surrounded by a thick stone wall, the little cell had been built as a bomb-proof storage locker for gunpowder and resembled a tomb more than a jail cell. It was too short to stand up, and the walls and floor were damp and chilly. It was also very dark, with the only light provided by a six-inch slit in the heavy iron door. Here, Luger was able to watch his more fortunate prisoners were allowed to exercise and socialize in the bright sunshine. After a few weeks, he had something new to watch, the construction of the gallows on which he would hang for the crime of murder. Bougere was scheduled to be executed on May 8th, 1902. However, fate had different plans for him. He would go on to survive his date with the gallows. In fact, the evening of May the 8th would find him the only living witness to the destruction of Saint-Pierre and the death of 30,000 people. On this episode of Relative Disasters, the 1902 eruption of Mount Pele.
0: Welcome to Relative Disasters, the show where my brother and I manage our existential dread by talking about terrible and interesting historical events and their context, implications, and any related sidebars we feel like discussing. I'm Ella, Volcano Damage Claims Adjuster here at Relative Disasters Insurance Group.
1: And I'm her brother Greg, Chief Lava Flow Observer here at the Stratovolcano Volcano Branch of Relative Disasters Geological Survey Division.
0: Ah, uh, thanks so much for that. Horrifying and terrible story.
1: Yeah, yeah. This is
0: a it, volcano episode.
1: <laughs> well, it's been a little while since we've done a good volcano, so let's do a really, really destructive one.
0: Yes, let's do it. Okay.
1: Yeah, Mount Pele was bad, y'all.
0: Our main source for this episode is The Day the World Ended by Gordon Thomas and Max Morgan witz Uh, We are heading to the French West Indies today, to an island called Martinique in the Eastern Caribbean Sea. Have you ever heard of Martinique?
1: I have. Martinique is very beautiful.
0: Uh, Martinique is the one with the snake flag.
1: Yes. Martinique is very cool. And it's it's gorgeous. I'm telling
0: you, if you ever want to really depress yourself, be in a cold climate, (laughs) in miserable weather, and watch a bunch of travel videos about Martinique, because it is gorgeous oh well yep <laughs> Martinique is a former French colony and current overseas territory of France of course oh. it was inhabited for thousands of years before the French got there by the Arawak people and then the okay. Caribs uh, French forces arrived in 1635 and claimed the island for Louis Eighth, despite oh. the fact that you know people were already living there
1: Yeah. Well, that's the, as we know from Professor Izzard, that is the standard European method of claiming lands. If you go there and you put a flag in it first, Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter if there are already people living in there because you have a flag.
0: Right. And the flag they were using was not even the cool snake flag. It was just the regular old French flag, which is still the official flag of Martinique, but the snake flag is a lot cooler.
1: The snake flag is very cool. For those of you who don't know what we're talking about, please Google it. It is awesome.
0: Oh, we're actually coming back to that.
1: Oh, excellent.
0: Yeah, there's a reason. (laughs) There's a reason for the snake flag.
1: (laughs) Yes, there is.
0: (laughs) So along with their boring flag, uh, war, (laughs) occupation, and genocide, the French brought slavery, Catholicism, disease, and sugarcane to Martinique. So a real mixed bag there. Uh, Martinique is a fantastic place to grow things. It has incredibly rich soil. It's actually a little rainforest-y yep. uh, on the northern end. One of the first things the French did when they arrived was begin grabbing the old-growth mahogany and starting up some furniture factories, uh, as you do.
1: But of course.
0: Uh, they also got some plantations going when they yeah. ran out of trees. Uh, they grew cotton, coffee, cacao, and of course sugarcane, which does yep. really well. These were massively profitable uh, plantations through the 17th, 18th, and the first half of the 19th century, thanks to hundreds of thousands of enslaved people working for free. Of course, uh, I don't know if you've (laughs) ever realized this, but an economy that depends on the enslavement of other people is inherently unstable.
1: Yeah, it's the strangest thing. (laughs) It's
0: not a good long-term arrangement. Uh, No. And slavery in Martinique, thankfully, did not last forever. Enslaved workers rebelled three times, Yep. and in 1848, following the French Revolution, slavery was finally abolished in Martinique. Yes. Yay. Aside from enslaved labor, the reason why you can grow just about anything in the northern half of Martinique is because of generous rainfall thanks to the climate and that nice rich soil, which is thanks to Mount Pele. Yeah. Yes!
1: We love volcanic soil. It is excellent to grow stuff in. We have... if only we could get it without the volcano.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's again a real mixed bag. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mount Pelée is a stratovolcano. Those are the pointy kind with the crater yes. on top, like our friend Vesuvius in uh, yep. Italy. And it's Mount very active, Doom, if you will. I'm sorry.
1: <laughs> I was thinking, and our friend Mount Doom.
0: Mount Doom. Lord not of the Rings, Thank you.
1: Lord of the Rings, the one where, you know, lava and they forged the ring and it's the only place. Yeah, but do be. you know, Neverland. I think
0: Mount Doom is a little pointier. It doesn't have that it kind is. of one. It doesn't like. have
1: the caldera. It's got like a, a convenient, you know, walk in tunnel.
0: It's got like for... a spouty thing on top, but it doesn't yep. have the. Yeah. I'm going well, to have for... to say that Mount Doom is not an appropriate analogy. It's oh, also highly it's fictional. Not real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mount Pele is a very real volcano. It's very active. Uh, over yeah. the past 5,000 years, it's had at least 30 major eruptions. Jeez. But when the French came in 1635, Mount Pele was in a nice long nap. So it hadn't erupted cool. seriously in hundreds of years. And to most people, it was just like a nice feature to the island. You've got your sure. beach, you've got your waterfall, you've got your rainforest, you've got your volcano.
1: Yeah. But it's like yeah. a friendly volcano. It doesn't explode. It just looks nice. It gives you good soil.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. nobody seems... It's not, a, it's not a very high mountain, and it's not very intimidating. Sure. Uh, the Carib word for it translates to, like, old baldy. <laughs> Aw. <laughs> yeah, no, it's adorable, right? Uncle uh, Mount
1: Pele. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the French called it Mount Pele after Pele, the Hawaiian goddess of volcanoes, because they did know it was a volcano. They just didn't take okay. it super seriously. Okay. Cool. Montpellier sits just outside the small, very fancy city of Saint-Pierre. Yes. Saint-Pierre was never the administrative capital city, but it was probably the most fun place that the French built on the island. (laughs) Uh, It had the nickname the Paris of the Caribbean.
1: Ooh. I did not know that. That's that's
0: interesting. Yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty classy. It was wide, beautiful streets, uh, yep. beautiful gardens, stone buildings. Some of the photographs show these very like Parisian tall shutters and little dormer windows and cast iron balconies. It really does look like a tropical Paris.
1: Gotcha. Okay.
0: From certain angles, obviously, sure, is sure, sure. <laughs> smaller, right? And yes. Beachier than Paris, France. Okay. <laughs> But they have, like, a lot of the city amenities. They have this beautiful little theater and a cathedral, and they have a botanical garden that is world famous. It supplies seeds and specimens to a number of famous European plant collections, including Kew Gardens in London. Okay. They also have their own power grid.
1: That's also very useful.
0: Sorry, they also have their own power plant and electrical grid.
1: Ah, I was going to say. Okay. <laughs> did they, uh, did in they 1902,
0: keep... which is pretty cool.
1: Yeah, no, that's not bad at all.
0: They have a telephone system, and they're connected to the rest of the world by telegraph cable. Sure. So, St. Pierre is very sophisticated, and it is very happening. Turn of the century, this is a great place to be.
1: With one minor exception.
0: (laughs) It's a feature. It's a feature. You don't want to live in a boring place.
1: I mean... Dude, after the last couple of years, I would love to live in a boring place. This is 1902. They
0: haven't had the last couple of years yet. Let's not do any foreshadowing though, because I'm still on the first paragraph. Oh, God.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I just feel bad. <clears throat> All right.
0: We're going to shift gears here a little bit because this is also a political episode. In oh. uh, 1902 in St. Pierre, it is an election year. And the election that is most important is for the open seat to represent Martinique on the French Chamber of Deputies in French Parliament.
1: Oh, they had representation?
0: They're represented as a territory. Okay. I was complaining about how hard this was to research because there isn't a lot in English on how this system worked in 1902. Okay. Uh, I actually called our dad, and I was complaining about it a little bit, he was like, oh, (laughs) actually, blah, 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 and he explained the whole thing to me, and then I forgot it right away because it it just doesn't make sense to me. So these are, it's it's roughly equivalent to our House of Representatives. Right. But it's not district-based the way ours is. Right. So the person who gets elected in this election is going to go to Paris and represent the island, but not this specific district that Saint-Pierre is in.
1: Okay, but, but they represent the island and the people who live on the island, and they have a vote, right? So I would just like to point out that the United States...
0: <laughs> They're way ahead of us in some areas, for sure. They have emancipation before we do. <laughs> uh, so this is a really important election. Yes. Because Martinique is going through a period of rapid political change.
2: Interesting. Okay.
0: The radical party and the progressive party are the two parties that are fighting for this seat. The Radical Party had just a few years before elected a black man named Amide Knight to serve in the Senate. So he is the first black senator from Martinique. He is extremely smart and educated. He is extremely Uh good politician. And in Paris, he's been pushing really aggressively for education and housing reform, which is the main platform for the Radical Party. Okay. The Progressive Party in Martinique, uh, progressive is a little misleading. They're actually pretty conservative. Um, So they're like trying to market themselves as being progressive. Right. But the Progressive Party is composed of wealthy white landowners who aren't interested in seeing any real change. Sure. They're kind of pretending to be progressive, but they're... it's,
1: It's much closer to be the regressive party.
0: They're the status quo. They just want to keep things the way they are. They don't see why they can't have people working for them for free. They don't see why they can't have all the money. The Progressive Party in Martinique sees Amide Knight's success as threatening to the wealthy white landowners, and their response is to run (laughs) more liberal candidates. Okay. Okay. Most of whom are also wealthy white landowners.
1: Right, right, naturally.
0: So they're competing with this party that's fighting for actual, like, meaningful change. Sure. Sure. With their, like, slightly liberal-flavored (laughs) conservative candidates. Sure, sure, sure. Gotcha. gotcha. Okay. Uh, So in this election, they're running a man named Fernand Clerk. Fernand. Clerk is a very proper man with a spotless reputation. Does he have a a mustache? You know, I was not able to find a picture of him.
1: Because he sounds like the kind of dude with, like, a David Niven pencil mustache.
0: If he did have a mustache, it was extremely well combed. And he probably put stuff in it.
1: I'm just going to imagine him like that. I'm sorry I interrupted you. That's okay. Yes. Mustache wax, maybe.
0: He looks kind of perfect for a distance to balance out Amide Knight. He's a little bit younger, right? He's a little bit more hip. Up (laughs) close, (laughs) Clerk is a little too progressive for the progressive parties.
2: Ah, okay. Like, it turns
0: out that one of his more troublesome ideas that they're like well we don't really want to talk about that yeah he really wants labor reform in the sugar industry
1: oh no no for biblical sir, we reasons. can't have that
0: for biblical reasons
1: for biblical reasons yeah interesting
0: also he has kind of a i don't want to call him a sad person but he's kind of a fuss budget sure
1: i like fuss budgets
0: <laughs> he's very particular and nobody really likes him <laughs> fair enough so he has this habit of being like very particular about his ideas, and the thing the Progressive Party doesn't understand about him is that he is extremely stubborn. If he okay. sees something wrong, he cannot stop himself from picking away at it until he drives everyone crazy. What this party wants is for his politics to, to kind of balance, balance out, out right? Day night. Got it. Okay. Because they don't want Paris thinking that Martinique wants like actual progress, actual change. Exactly. Right?
1: No, we can't have that. Okay. All okay. right. I'm digging it.
0: Uh, he's also not very diplomatic. He does not have Amy Day Knight's gift of gab. Okay. He kind of sounds like the most annoying man alive. Sure. Uh you would run into him at a party and he'd just like corner you because of course he did not drink at all. <laughs> he would just right. like corner you and start talking about whatever he was thinking about and he wouldn't let you go until you agreed to vote for him.
2: Uh, okay. I that, mean that was
0: my picture of him from
2: Sure, party. sure. I uh
0: He's also brand new to politics. He has never run for office before or expressed any desire to hold political office. Okay. So he's running against a radical party candidate named Alfred Persin, who is running on the radical party values of improved access to education and housing and economic reform that will benefit Martinique's poorest residents. So that is his opponent for this election. Got it. In addition to our politicians... This election has three other elements in the mix. First, we have Antoine Harard, the editor-in-chief of the island's only newspaper, Les Colonies. Can you imagine only okay. having one news source? I can.
1: I can imagine I think imagine it would make that.
0: things a lot easier.
1: <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, it, it's, yeah, sure.
0: Harard has a vested interest in keeping the conservatives in control, and with his newspaper, he has a lot of power to do so.
2: Sure. So even
0: though he personally can't stand Fernand Clerk, he has spent the winter and the spring of 1902 using his editorial voice to support his candidacy and suppress opposing views and generally just running whatever nonsense he wants to about what will happen to Martinique if the radical party secures another seat.
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: Basically, we're talking like the collapse of Western civilization.
1: Absolutely. This is why Western civilization has collapsed, I'm sure.
0: Yes. That's... Obviously. This
1: guy was, this guy could see the future. He was a soothsayer.
0: Well, it has to do with the advertising money and where he's getting it from.
1: <laughs> Golly, really? I had, no, no. I, I was, I was thinking he was coming. I, I'm i shocked. Shocked I am.
0: I kept like picking away at it, thinking he had some like deep held political beliefs that were forcing no! in this direction. No, he just Of course money. not. No, yeah.
1: no, no, no.
0: It's just such a disappointment. Okay. Nah. Secondly, Martinique has a brand new governor. He is a career civil servant from France named Louis Moutet, who's been on the okay. job for all of seven months. Oof. Yeah.
2: Okay.
0: Uh, Moutet has spent most of his career bouncing around in the French colonial service, and he's worked in Senegal, French Sudan, and French Indochina. Okay. The French had a lot of territories at one point.
2: Yes, they did.
0: There isn't really anything super interesting about his career, He's a hard worker. He isn't involved in any scandals I could find. He's been married for 15 years at this point, and he has three kids between the ages of 11 and 2. And he brings his whole family along with him to Martinique. Now, they settle in Fort de France, which is down the coast from Saint-Pierre. Okay. Fort de France is the administrative capital of Martinique. Okay. Finally, we have the American consul, Thomas Prentice.
1: Oh, okay. Does he have a mustache? I bet he did, <laughs> I and I bet,
0: bet his did, was did. not very neatly combed. Uh, uh, he's dear. also freshly posted to Martinique, and his okay. job is to watch out for American economic interests in the island. Sure. So a lot of that sugar, as we know from the Boston molasses flood, is going to yep. end up in America, yep. wreaking havoc and destroying our civilization.
1: Ah, just like the editor of the newspaper said.
0: Yep, that's <laughs> it. <laughs> <Set. laughs> Uh, So he has this big, beautiful house slightly north of downtown Saint-Pierre.
2: Okay.
0: He has a beautiful view of Mount Pele from his back windows. And he lives there with his wife, Clara, and their two little girls. Now, Prentice does not approach Fernand Clerc's level of fussiness. Okay. But he and Clara are looking at that volcano from their back windows every day and asking each other, do you think that's normal? (laughs) As you do around a volcano. If a volcano starts doing something weird, you want to say look
1: should it be doing that
0: should it be i feel like it shouldn't i don't know
1: it's probably fine
0: but they're new to the neighborhood sure so you know
1: oh gross
0: uh so as part of his job he's talking to all the americans and all the people with american business interests around town and he's hearing some disturbing things about the volcano and its recent activity by the end of March, beginning of April, he is seriously on Governor Mute's nerves because he keeps trying to send diplomatic cables to Washington with volcano updates. Mm-hmm. And by the, I would say by the middle of April, Governor Mute is just refusing to relay his messages because he's making it sound like Mount Pele is just about to erupt.
1: Um, um, spoilers?
0: Just want to take a moment of silence for... Yeah. <laughs> The boy who saw that the world was on fire and went to pull the fire alarm and someone said, please, you're going to scare people.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Some of the things Prentice is hearing and seeing are a little disturbing. They might warrant a little hysteria. Sure. Uh, in early April, people living in St. Pierre start complaining about a sulfur smell.
1: Oh, that's not good.
0: No. It always makes me that's... think of hell.
1: Yeah. Right? The volcano
0: isn't doing anything that can be seen from town, but all through the town there's just this reek of rotten eggs. Mm -mm. It's it's not nice. It's not a feature. Mm -mm. No, thank you. (laughs) You don't want it.
2: Yeah.
0: On April twenty third, a series of three phreatic eruptions begin on the side of the mountain. These are messy little events. They're caused by magma heating up the surface water. Yep. It's basically like a steam cloud. Yeah. Um, It causes mudslides. Steam clouds, these little fissures open up yep. and they sometimes like barf out ash and volcanic rock. Mm. So I imagine okay. from town they look a little bit like a small dynamite explosion. Yep. And and the volcano just like puffs out a little steam cloud and then somebody over here gets a little ash on their garden. Okay. It's okay. not a huge deal, and these are the kind of eruptions that they last saw from Mount Pele in 1851. So there still would have been people alive who remembered small eruptions like this going off sure. and it not being a big deal.
2: Okay, okay.
0: However, these phreatic eruptions have a profound impact on the ecosystem around the whole northern end of the island. For example, shockwaves from the foot of the mountain in the ocean kills hundreds of thousands of fish with each of these eruptions okay uh birds get loaded up with ash and literally fall dead out of the sky yep and they're warm they're like dead warm birds i i hate that so much yeah
1: cooked pheasant
0: yeah but not no Most horribly, the pit vipers living on the side of the mountain come swarming down into the villages when their pits become too hot for them to live in. (laughs) As you can tell by their unofficial flag, Martinique is home to some very interesting and impressive snakes. Yeah. Uh, One of which, the Fur de lance, is also called the Martinique lancehead snake.
2: Okay. It is
0: one of the deadliest snakes in the world, and it has one yep. of those venoms that kill 90% of the people who are bitten and are not able yeah. to get treated. Yeah. yeah. These are like five feet long, deadly poisonous from the moment they're born, and they they come in like a camouflage color way. Yeah. yeah. Uh, they don't have the decency to rattle at you. <laughs> they're not a bright Stelt color. snakes, if you will. <laughs> you step on them. and yes.
1: And then they bite you, and, and things go very badly. You, yeah.
0: So these pissed-off snakes are streaming down the mountains, slithering into people's houses and gardens and so forth. Mm. You know, Ooh. it's not their fault. They're snakes. They're looking for a co- cooler spot to live. Yeah, And 50 their home's on people fire. are killed by snake bites in the Jeez. last week of April. Their home is not on fire, Greg.
1: In a week?
0: Mm-hmm. Jeez. Their home is not on fire. They're just getting a little steamy- there are no fires at this point
1: i beg your pardon (laughs) i i
0: to me that's almost worse (sighs) because it's like this nasty stinking steam
1: yeah and it's it's just like all
0: over everything and it's full of ash and now there's snakes in it too snakes in a volcano coming to you next
1: week from (laughs)
2: sci-fi
0: i think they did have fertilances in uh snakes on a plane
1: I okay. The documentary about our, snakes. Being the documentary about snakes released on a plane. Yes. <laughs> Narrated I by Samuel Jackson. Yeah.
0: <laughs> on April thirtieth, two rivers outside town have flash floods that sweep away houses and roads and whole families. Oh God! Now, what's weird about these flash floods? Do you think?
1: Uh, is the water very warm?
0: I bet it was. Yeah. But also, it had not rained in days and days.
1: Oh, that's not good. Flashlights out of the blue. Yeah.
0: How's that for creepy and horrifying?
1: That's this sounds like somebody ticked off the god of Abraham. Like Oh, just wait. <laughs> this this literally sounds like ten plagues were visited upon the it people gets of Martin. Very old
0: testament in a few minutes. Hold on. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So through the end of April and the beginning of May, there are these small and medium earthquakes almost every day. Okay. The ash clouds increase in size. They start dumping Mm -hmm. more ash all over the place. And by May 3rd, the Prentices start to notice lightning in the ash cloud directly over the crater on top of Mount Pele.
1: See, that's a real bad sign. (laughs) You don't want lightning in your volcano clouds.
0: No, you just don't. It doesn't Uh, look good. It doesn't do anything for anybody.
1: Puts the neighbors right off.
0: i really, really bad for the property value. So between the floods and the snakes, this is the point where the people living between Mount Pele and Saint-Pierre start making haste towards the city, and the newspaper is encouraging them to do so. Right. Harard runs an interview with a volcano expert who who assures the readers that Mount Pele poses absolutely no threat to the safety of anyone in Saint-Pierre.
1: Trust me, I'm an expert.
0: Uh, it's funny you say that because Herard invents this expert and he bases his yep. predictions on his understanding of a Jesuit priest's observation.
1: So he makes up the whole thing.
0: Not necessarily. So he has a friend, okay. this priest, Father Roche. He's less of an are we expert. Are sure Father Roche exists? Yes. Okay. Because he wrote down notes. <laughs> oh, good.
1: Now, are the notes strangely in the newspaper editor's handwriting, though?
0: Why? I'm not sure. <laughs> he seems to be a real person okay uh it would not surprise me if Herard made him up because he does that a lot but uh as far as i can tell this is a real person okay uh he's less of an expert like less of a volcano expert or a geology expert he's more of a fan so he was in sicily uh 10 years ago he saw mount etna erupt his favorite thing to read about is pompeii and vesuvius
2: Mm-hmm. and
0: uh unlike the prentices, he just can't get enough of watching from a distance as the volcano has these small eruptions and ash clouds and poisonous snakes and uh lightning mm. i feel like we have the same taste <laughs> i would love to watch all those things from a safe distance uh, not the sure. death and destruction and people getting hurt but like yeah it does okay. sound really biblical Father Roche has some time on his hands. He keeps extensive notes on the ash, the weather, the lightning, the tremors, and he's more than happy to share his observations with Gerard. Father Roche okay. lives in St. Pierre, and he feels perfectly safe because he knows that there are three deep valleys between the volcano and the city. He's thinking that Mount Pele will erupt like Mount Etna in a, you know, gout of lava. Flood. Right. Yep. And lava will flow down the side of Mount Pele, it will flow into these valleys, and then, because the valleys are really rifts that open yep. out onto the sea, it would just, like, flow down to the ocean, where... Sure. Famously, lava everything has never caused
1: a problem. Right, exactly. <laughs> okay, so at this okay. point,
0: between everything, uh, <laughs> our candidate, Fernand Clerk is trying to rally the government for an evacuation. Okay. Remember, Fernand Clerc is our fussy worrywart.
2: Yes. But he hasn't
0: been elected. He has no real power. And uh, everyone he approaches to talk about evacuating tells him he's overreacting. Mm. And some people follow that up by saying, even if the volcano does erupt, the safest place to be is inside the city. Mm. Oh, you're okay. making that noise again. I'm sorry. <clears throat> After he talks to... Oh, in a couple of cases, it seems almost like he inspires people to stay by fussing at them that they need to evacuate.
2: No! <laughs>
0: <laughs> like he goes and talks to the mayor. And yep. uh, after they're done talking, the mayor gets posters printed up saying that people need to stay <laughs> in the city for their own safety. And he posts them all over town. <laughs> oh, God.
1: I can just okay. picture
0: Fernand Cleric following him around going, that is not what I meant. Yep. You were not listening. Yep.
1: No, Uh okay. So
0: as the louder clerk gets, the more people are asking him to sit down and shut up. Sure. So even Amide Knight asked the radical party members to shelter in St. Pierre. Okay. On May 5th, a massive and very fast mudslide wipes out a valley on Pele's southern flank, killing 150 okay. people, destroying a sugar plantation and a sugar <sighs> factory. Okay. And the whole thing slides down the mountain and into the ocean, generating a tsunami when it hits the water.
2: Oh, jeez. This
0: tsunami goes on to hit St. Pierre Harbor. It sinks a couple ships. It floods the downtown, wipes out a number of buildings along the waterfront, and destroys an orphanage. 29 children die. come on. I know. I know. I wish I could tell you that was the worst thing that happened, these poor kids. Yeah. It's not. One thing it doesn't destroy, luckily for our story, is the printing press of the lay colony newspaper. Uh. Yay! On May 6th, Governor Mute visits the site of the mudslide with members of his commission of inquiry on the situation. So these are the people who are deciding what the volcano is going to do next. They're going to tell the governor what they think the volcano is going to do next, and he's going to make his decisions based on this commission.
2: Sure. Okay.
0: The closest thing they have on this commission to an actual scientist is a high school science teacher. Okay. The other members of the commission, to give you an idea of who Mute thought they needed, they are a pharmacist, a civil engineer, and an artillery ar- officer. Uh-huh. I don't want okay. to white knight for <laughs> Mute. I think I'm going to say this a couple times. Okay. But there is no such thing as a volcanologist in uh, 1902. Sure. Nobody's studying volcanoes. People know to get out of the way, way. Yeah. <laughs> but nobody okay. is doing anything close to being able to predict what they're going to do.
1: Okay, all right, but still.
0: But still, this is a commission might, with a mission.
1: There are such people as geologists, and
0: you I know, don't know that there were geologists living in San
1: Pierre somebody who maybe read a book i don't anyway
0: he doesn't even have father roche on this committee i don't think he's he's very serious about putting together a well-balanced committee because his point is not to take an objective look at what's going on with the mountain what he wants the commission to do is establish how safe saint pierre will be so how well the geography around town will keep the lava away okay they're basing their report on how a previous phreatic eruption in eighteen fifty one behaved. And okay. this report, which is eighteen pages long, six of which describes the ash damage to the botanical garden.
2: Okay. So
0: we can already tell that our ducks priorities are in a row are right priorities where are to be. Yep. <laughs> where they're supposed to be. Yep. <laughs> uh, it completely ignores the mudslide and tsunami that had happened the day before.
1: Oh, no. Okay. Great. Okay. This is great. Yeah. You're doing great, fellas.
0: Because what does that really have to do with the volcano erupting? It's a mudslide. Nothing
1: to do with nothing. That's a mudslide. Completely slide. separate things.
0: Yeah. Yep. Uh, this report describes the depth and angle and length of the valleys between the mountain and the city, it looks at okay. like the position of the crater in relation to the valleys. And it compares ashfall and tremors to the outcome of the 1851 eruption, which caused minor damage, mostly to crops. Sure. I'm going to quote the report's conclusion here. Okay. This is translated. It really loses a little in translation, but you get the idea. Okay. There is nothing in the activity of Pele that warrants a departure from St. Pierre. The safety of St. Pierre Mm. is absolutely assured. Why do people end reports like this? I feel like you're just asking for.
1: I mean, there's something something. (laughs) about that. Yeah. The safety
0: of St. Pierre is absolutely assured.
1: It's the equivalent of the guy in the movie who's like, well, I'm two days from retirement.
0: Exactly. That's what it feels like. Yep. Uh, What could go wrong? Absolutely. What could possibly go (laughs) wrong? Louis Moutet takes this report back to his office in Fort de France. He is getting it typed Mm -hmm. up for his records. And as he's doing this, he receives another report from a military commander in St. Pierre. It is pretty awful. I won't read you the report, but it describes the mudslide and the damage to St. Pierre and it notes numerous human casualties. Okay. This is not like a theoretical prediction. Like the report, this is an eyewitness account of the thing that has just happened. Like within hours
2: Oh, jeez. Okay.
0: It's not clear that the governor receives this report, but he doesn't react to the news at all. He doesn't ask for help. He doesn't order an investigation. He doesn't even go back to his commission and say, hey, what about this? Okay. It's just, it's not a good look.
1: No, it's not. Nobody's really
0: sure why he did not react to this, but...
1: When the best possible outcome is he may have never gotten to read it, you know that that's not great Mm, yeah yeah
0: by the end of the day 112 people are known to be dead with dozens more missing
1: okay
0: the city's supplies of fresh water and fresh food are both running out because of all the ash contamination yep and the dead fish and the dead animals and the snakes and (laughs) because we have not seen all the plagues of the old testament yet there are now confirmed cases of smallpox in the refugees pouring into town.
1: Uh, Okay. All right.
0: Right? Packed 12 into a house with all their relatives. And, yeah. Again, no reaction from Moutet, who is the one person on the island with the power to requisition supplies and declare quarantine and or get help from the nearby islands or the French government or the Americans. Just nothing. Nothing.
1: Is there any... Do we have any record of, like, what he was thinking of at this
0: point? It gets okay. very shady because the the records don't exist. Right. Uh, you will see why in a few minutes.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: But everything that he had, like, around this time, all of the papers that he had, all of the plans that he may have been making, um, the report survives. Okay. But hardly anything else makes it to the next
2: week okay okay
0: uh by the end of the day on may 6th remember we're still like one day out from mudslide day yep the island has run out of coffins
1: that's that's one of those statistics that you just kind of get stopped short by so many people died so quickly that we ran out of coffins
0: the next day, the American consul, Thomas Prentiss, is so alarmed by what happened the day before, he drafts up a letter to Washington. Okay. Mute finds him very annoying and he keeps calling him hysterical. Okay. If he seemed hysterical before, at this time he is losing his mind.
2: Okay. Yep. <laughs> I just
0: wanna just wanna give you a little quote here.
2: Yes, please.
0: This is Thomas Prentiss. Quote okay. The assurances offered as to Pele's future behavior have no bearing on the facts. But that, like all else in this proclamation, is there for political reasons. The references to the governor are there for the same reason. So far he has done nothing, nor do I think he will do much until after the elections are over this Sunday. In order to evacuate the town would be exploited by the radicals as proof of metropolitan France interfering with the island's future. To abandon the elections would be unthinkable. The situation is a nightmare where nobody seems willing or able to face the truth. End quote.
1: Now see... This this just doesn't make any sense to me. An elected official mm-hmm. putting their political will over public safety. It's I, not
0: is... even his election. Mute is I... appointed. <laughs> <laughs> He's not in any danger of losing his job.
1: I I'm just I'm I'm shocked. It's not I'm even shocked. his
0: own career on the line. That's what really yeah.
1: I just I I'm.
0: I think part of the reason why this is happening is that Mute it's is so new, new to the job and he wants to show sure. people that he's in control. He's unflappable. He's not alarmed. He's been in worse situations. Like,
1: Meanwhile, there are people going, you really should be alarmed right. at this point. <laughs>
0: right. But there are other people saying, no, I've lived here my whole life and this is nothing to worry about. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're planning a party for Saturday night. Like a, a lavish yep. banquet the yeah. party is still on after after the mudslide <laughs> after yeah. the island runs out of coffins they're still like boy uh, let me go over that seating chart one more time okay okay just to give you the full picture yeah
1: no no, no. this is great this is all good everything's fine
0: it's wonderful and it's gonna work out great mm-hmm. uh thomas prentice yeah. who has written this letter yeah uh, does not bother trying to send it through moutet's office on Fort de France he sends a letter he sends this letter directly to President Theodore Roosevelt ignoring mm-hmm. a couple dozen layers of diplomatic protocol you just don't send a letter right to the president when you're in this no. position he's no. a, he's a consul he's not
1: when you're a member of the diplomatic corps there are like 15 people above you that have to read the letter first right and listen to what he's saying he's not being diplomatic he's saying these guys
0: are going to get people killed it is inevitable that people are going to die because of the decisions that this guy is making i mean those are those are pretty harsh words
1: yeah that's not what you expect from your diplomatic consuls. but at the same time is he wrong
0: He's not wrong, but also he was sent there to work with the sugar producers. Like you mm-hmm. know, he, he could be seen as overstepping.
1: Oh yeah. Um yes, yeah, absolutely <laughs> could be seen <laughs> I'm as overstepping.
0: Just trying to trying to figure out where Mute is coming from. So now we're in May sixth and seventh. There are some attempts to evacuate over the next few hours, but they're all on like a really scattershot kind of personal level. For instance, the public high school closes and the administration advises families to leave town if they would feel safer not being in town,
2: Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm.
0: Some of the wealthier Mm -hmm. families have other houses in Fort de France and they do leave. Sure. But there's this political distrust hanging over everything and both parties are encouraging people to stay put until Sunday, until Until the election is over, right? The radical Uh, party sees evacuation as losing out on their chance to gain a political foothold in Paris, Yep. which they want. You know, they have Ami Day-Night there, but they know they can't make real progress if it's just him. No matter how good he is, they need more people there to cast more votes, to promote more policy, Yep. and they feel like this is their chance, you know? And the progressives, who are wealthier and more mobile, do not want to flee town without voting, and end up being represented by someone who isn't a wealthy white landowner and they're also worried that they're going to look like they're not in control like mute they're they're like well you know we're we know what's going on (laughs) we're not afraid of a little volcano in the end the governor makes his worst decision which is to Mm -hmm. order troops to block the only road out of st pierre and start turning people back towards town saying that they'll be safer in town and that an unorganized evacuation might start a panic. So a few people get out to Fort de France. Oh, my God. And then the troops close the road. Yep.
1: Awesome. And this is the only
0: road out of town. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Yeah, not a good look. You might think that people would be evacuating by sea, but they weren't. Even though there were over a dozen ships in the harbor, and some people on those ships had witnessed the mudslide and the tsunami. They also knew about the smallpox.
2: Uh huh. So nobody yeah. was
0: anxious Allowing to go ashore so. and help yep. or take on pastors. Uh, at some point on the 7th, Governor Moutet asks for something from a French warship. And the captain is like, Oh, uh, sorry, monsieur, <laughs> but you have to go through the naval minister and get some authorization. Yeah. And uh, we're also having engine trouble.
1: Yeah. We so. <laughs> would love to help. We just, you know, two
0: weeks, three at the most. We can, we can talk.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Fernand Clerk is still fighting the good fight for evacuation. He goes directly sure. to Gerard and asks for an editorial in the newspaper calling for evacuation. Gerard yeah. says no and throws him out of his office.
2: Yeah, I saw that coming.
0: Clerk goes to the mayor. Another no. Finally, he ends up at Thomas Prentice's house, and Prentice agrees with him that the town needs to be evacuated. Yep. He drafts a cable to Washington asking for aid. And then they realize that the mm-hmm. transatlantic cable, transatlantic, it's not transatlantic because it goes through the Caribbean.
1: Transpacific?
0: No. <laughs> We're in the Caribbean.
1: <laughs> Trans Earth.
0: Transocean?
1: Transoceanic.
0: Okay, the underwater cable. Yeah. Uh, that connects Martinique to the rest of the world. That cable is down. It's been broken in the same shockwave that killed all the fish
2: few Mm -hmm. days before
0: so the island is now in true horror movie fashion completely cut off no assistance is coming Mm -hmm. governor Bote goes to saint pierre again on saturday the 7th he brings his wife and his secretary to see how the town is doing
1: and saturday is the day of the election
0: sunday is the day of the election so he wants to be there to oversee the election and he also wants to be there to show people that there's nothing to be afraid of of course he's got his wife of he wouldn't bring his wife here if he thought it was dangerous yeah the city is covered with a foot of ash at this what point, and the army has been dealing with riots and looting all day mostly over who has access to the last of the fresh food and clean water
2: oh my god
0: the governor meets with the commission and on the afternoon of the 7th the commission suggests that in light of the two eruptions that occurred overnight those are two more phreatic eruptions, but they're yep. much louder and much more powerful than the ones before.
2: Yeah.
0: Maybe the time had come to start an evacuation. Golly. Now, they suggest this with the mayor in the room. And the town's uh, mayor has been planning that big party for yep. Saturday night. And he's also up for re-election in two days. Or, or sorry, <laughs> he's up for re-election on Sunday. Yep. So he's on that same ballot as the deputy yep. chamber candidates. He throws an absolute temper tantrum.
1: This feels like the uh, the mayor from Jaws. Like, you know how you never want to be compared to the mayor from Jaws?
0: Oh, this guy is. I think he's even more uh, he's, spectacularly he's bad than yeah. Yeah. the
1: mayor.
0: Yeah. Well, Jaws for starters, he's sharks. not
1: fictional. Yeah.
0: And he's not uh, fictional.
1: Oh, God.
0: Uh, he presents a plan where he talks about how he's going to keep the food fresh and uh ash out of the dishes and off the silverware and what wines he's going to serve. And then so we're at just... that level
1: of disconnected from reality. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. That's that's okay. my
0: point with this little gotcha. sidebar. Gotcha. Yep. <laughs> yep. yep. On yep. another planet. Mm-hmm. Uh He throws an absolute fit, a toddler temper tantrum. Uh, yep. By the time everyone is done screaming at each other, because the governor At this point, it's like, no, you can't have a party. But I want a party!
2: Exactly.
0: We've all been there. We've all been there.
2: Mm.
0: Uh, It's so late by the time his temper tantrum is over and the meeting adjourns that the governor sends his secretary back up the road to Fort de France, and he settles down with his wife for the evening at St. Pierre's fanciest hotel. Now, they're planning on going to the church service in the morning and overseeing the election in the afternoon. At five o'clock the next morning, the mountain begins to make a noise. Okay. Uh, it's been grumbling steadily, like since mid-April. Yeah. But this is closer and much louder than before. Mm-hmm. It's unsettling, right? <laughs>
2: mm-hmm. Mm-mm. I don't like any like of this over
0: there rumbling. Really loudly. People wake up and they start making a beeline for the cathedral. Not just because it's a big sturdy building, but it's also Ascension Day. It's a Catholic holiday, and there's going to be a special morning mass. Okay. Fernand Clerk, having completely failed in his mission to evacuate the city, decides that this yep. is it for him. He wakes okay. up to that rumbling, he's like, you know what? I'm out. This is the end for me. He puts okay. his wife and kids into a carriage and he's grabbing a few last things. Uh, he takes all his meteorological equipment with him, which I thought was kind of cute. Mm. He brings a barometer.
2: Okay. Okay. Okay.
0: Uh, he happens to look up at the mountain and notice that the tip of Mount Pele is beginning to glow.
1: Oh, my god! A
0: couple people notice this. Oh. And they all say it's just like the top of the mountain is glowing red. It's lighting up the whole sky. Remember, this is pre dawn. Yep. And it's just, again, not what you want to see in nature.
1: I'm so a glowing furious mountain. with everyone. Yep. Okay. Okay.
0: He jumps in the carriage and they book it for the hills outside town, but they only make it as far as Montparnasse. That's a nearby hill. Uh, that's where the horse chokes on ash and dies.
2: Oh God. Okay. So
0: he and his wife and their three kids and his mustache and his barometer are jogging up a hillside as Mount Pele begins to explode.
2: Oh my God. Okay.
0: What the commission had failed to realize is that this is not a lava flow eruption. Right. Right. Mount Pele does not have an open crater on top. Yeah. It has a crater, but it's pretty well plugged up. So pressure inside the mountain itself has built up to the point where there's this massive collection of superheated gas and steam boiling up inside the mountain itself. Yep. So when the volcano erupts, it doesn't shoot lava out of its crater, like Mount Etna style. Right. The whole top of the mountain explodes. Yeah. And it sends a pyroclastic surge, which, as we know from our Pompeii episode, is a cloud of superheated gas and lava right down into the city. In a straight line. Uh, the edge of this cloud is moving about 100 miles per hour.
2: Oh, God. It is about
0: 800 degrees inside this cloud. Those three valleys between Pele and St. Pierre don't even slow it down. No. The gas cloud of does not go that... out to sea, it just rolls no. right into town. The no. six kilometer distance that it has to travel takes yep. about three minutes for the surge.
2: Okay.
0: Uh, which is preceded, of course, by a shock wave. Yep. In town, temperatures shoot up to 1,900 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh my God. And as you can imagine, buildings offered absolutely no protection. Every roof no. is blown off by the shockwave. Yep. And some buildings, including the theater, are just completely flattened before the cloud gets there. Within God. seconds, everyone in town is dead. You cannot yeah. survive as a human. No. There is no. nothing you can do. Uh, and everything flammable in town is on fire.
1: So Prentice is killed in this as well. Him and his family. Yes. They they didn't try to get out.
0: They couldn't. They were on the side between Mount Pele and St. Pierre.
1: No, but I mean like they Clark didn't leave. Clark was on the other side. They didn't leave at the same time Clark did.
0: They didn't leave. No. And actually this is a really terrible story, but Clara Prentice had a ticket for the Italian liner that was supposed to leave on May 9th. Okay. Uh, But yeah, that's daylight and a dollar short. Yeah. The mountain is hidden under a huge mushroom cloud as the surge passes over St. Pierre, and the sky is completely black. Yeah. After the surge passes, there's a rain of ash, stones, and boiling mud. Do you remember those ships in the harbor? Yeah. Half of them sink immediately without survivors, and the rest are on fire and being crewed by the surviving sailors, most of whom are horribly burned by the boiling mud falling from the sky. Oh my God. Very few people, even those on the ships, survive the day. Yeah. The total death toll is somewhere between twenty-eight and 30,000 people. This is way over the normal population of San but again, because everybody was crammed in there and nobody was leaving. Yep. Uh, When the volcano is being studied a few years later, they draw an eight square mile kind of ring around Mount Pele and the eruption path that this pyroclastic search takes. And they say that nothing within that eight square mile area survives except for these three exceptions. Okay. Okay. A 10 year old girl saw the pyroclastic, sorry, saw the mountain began to glow and ran to the beach where she grabbed her brother's rowboat and rowed into a cave.
2: Okay. She, was,
0: she survived pyroclastic surge. She was picked up two miles out to sea, unconscious, in her boat, which was on fire.
1: Okay, that girl gets, like, all all the cool awards.
0: I kept thinking she was not a real person, because the story is just so <laughs> bizarre. but I think she was a yeah. real person. She was in several sources. Uh, She
1: gets played by The Rock in 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 (laughs) the movie that gets made. She is played by Dwayne The Rock Johnson.
0: In Pigtails.
1: That is the only proper casting for this kid.
0: A shoemaker somehow escapes by hiding in his wood cellar. Again. Huh.
1: You would not think that would work. You would
0: not think that would work. And it might also be apocryphal. I am not sure. I couldn't find very much about him. But... The person who definitely was there and definitely survived was our yes. convict from the beginning of the story, Luger Savars, yep. who was protected from the eruption in his horrible, inhumane horrible jail cell. Jail cell. Yep. Uh, he was dug out by rescuers four days later. He was severely burned, but recovered. Um, he was pardoned for his crimes, and he went on to join Barnum and Bailey Circus, where he toured with yep. them as the man who lived through doomsday.
1: Yes, Isn't that and cool? <laughs> he would show off. Well, he'd show off his his back. Yeah, and I've seen the pictures.
0: Yep, it's it's pretty impressive that somebody it's, survived that. Yeah, the town of Saint Pierre itself was leveled. Absolutely yeah. nothing remained of the architecture or even the layout of the city itself. So when people See? arrived days later, <laughs> it was hard for them to tell where streets used to be yeah and it's not because of the ash fall this is not pompeii they do not get like eight feet of ash
1: no 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 it's because when you make buildings out of buildings
0: (laughs) no these are stone buildings what these are stone buildings that are blown apart
1: oh my god never Mm -hmm. mind and then make some snarky comment about you know everything (laughs) was burned and exploded but everything was burned and exploded and it was still made out of stone yep Good God.
0: Aside from those three peoples, rescuers find nobody alive, and even body recovery wasn't possible in many cases. For instance, okay. the governor and his wife are never found. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Prentice, the American consul, and his family are found inside his house. And the science teacher on the commission who predicted yeah. that St. Pierre lay outside the range of an eruption, the guy who did all that writing about the botanical gardens, Yeah. he was found dead in the bot- botanical gardens.
2: Well, okay.
0: Harard and Major sorry, Harard and Mayor Fouche are both killed in the eruption as well. Yeah. Our baby politician Fernand Clerk is able to escape over the hill with his family intact.
1: Hey, let's hear it for being a fuss budget worry
0: <laughs> Now he's a stubborn person, but he. I takes like this, it. He takes this as a sign to get out of politics.
1: <laughs> Dude, I'm with you. I'm he does with not ya. run
0: for public office again until 1920.
1: But he does run for public office again?
0: He runs and wins, yeah. Well,
1: good for him. You
0: not know what? not this particular him. seat, the deputy One would imagine. The of deputies, but um, local public <laughs> office, yeah.
2: Wow. Uh,
0: senator Amide Knight, who loses his entire family in the eruption, he goes on okay. to serve another 14 years as a senator in Paris, continuing to advocate for education, labor, and housing equity in Martinique. Good. He also starts his own newspaper, Le Bloc.
1: Hey, you know what?
0: Right, can't and beat it. Them. Sounds like it. Sounds like we could use
1: another one. Exactly.
0: <laughs> you need at least two newspapers.
1: Did did the printing press of the other newspaper survive the uh, the the eruption? Oh because heck, no! I was gonna say no, it was just a Melted <laughs> lump of iron.
0: That's what I'm picturing. Uh, and then it like drains out into the ocean.
2: <laughs>
0: uh, all right. Uh, he does go on to have a long career in politics. As for Saint-Pierre, it was, of course, completely destroyed in the eruption and the subsequent fire, which burned for days. And Pele wasn't quite done. It erupted two weeks later, killing 2,000 relief workers. Oh, come
1: on! And
0: again in August, killing another 800 people.
1: That's just vindictive!
0: It wasn't until 1905 that it finally stopped erupting.
1: It erupted for three years.
0: Three years straight. I mean, it had a lot of buildup in there. The area was cautiously settled again around 1910, and rebuilding efforts were well underway when Mount Pele began to erupt again in 1929. This time, Saint-Pierre was evacuated immediately, and nobody died. Hey! So if we look back on the administration, sorry, the administrative decisions that were made within those last couple of weeks leading up to the eruption, it's easy for us to see where balls were dropped. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. I'm going to put that as lightly as possible. Sure. The political pressure on the issue of evacuation was incredible, and nobody behaved well. Yeah. Uh, Even Fernand Clerc was unable to sway or convince the people who should have been his allies to manage an actual evacuation. The eruption of the volcano should never have been a political issue. No matter how far apart people are on spending and services and taxes, we're all pretty anti-volcano.
1: Yep. Right? It's almost like, hey, a public health emergency. Let's deal with the problem instead of make it a political thing.
0: Right. <clears throat> However, we have to remember that in 1902, volcanoes were not studied the way they are today. There was not I, a lot of yeah, information. I agree.
2: I agree with the that. The
0: eruption That's... on Mount Pele was so powerful, it had no equal in recorded history. And therefore, the people in St. Pierre did not have enough information to judge the hazards. Even our volcano fan, Father Roche, didn't know what he was looking at. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The 1902 eruption was so unexpected that it formed its own class of volcanic eruption, Peleian yeah. eruptions, um, which have been and studied and observed a- and recorded yeah. since then. When you get a whole category of eruption named after you, mm-hmm. you know, for sure you've uh, done a great yeah. job. <laughs> yeah. So last year, when La Souffre, uh, another mountain in St. Vincent, began to erupt, volcanologists and public safety People were able to say, oh, it looks like a Peléan eruption is on the way, better evacuate. Mm-hmm. Um, and 16,000 people were evacuated from the danger areas before La Souffre erupted. We always have a ways to go in disaster management and damage mitigation, but we can at least yep. be fairly sure we know more about volcanoes now than we did in 1902 Martinique. Yes. And that is the story of the worst volcano disaster of the 20th century.
1: Well, thanks. I hate it.
0: (laughs) You're so welcome, Greg.
1: (laughs) All right. Although we gave you slightly exaggerated credentials at the top of the show, we do fact-check our stories in an effort to give you the best disaster experience possible. If you'd like to read more about our sources, a complete bibliography is available in our show notes. If we got anything wrong, please let us know.
0: You can do that by emailing us at relative.disasters at gmail.com. Or if you'd like to shame us publicly...
1: And we know you do. And we
0: know you do. Why not use our Instagram, (laughs) at relative.disasters. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Relative Disasters. We hope you've enjoyed the story and the discussion. And please join us next time for another strange, dangerous, and interesting event from history. Hopefully with a little less death. Yes. Yes? Okay. My brother has selected our next disaster. What's it going to be, Greg?
1: In honor of the Winter Olympics. Yay. Uh... We're going to do a Winter Olympics story. I'm going to talk about a triumphant disaster. Oh boy. Next week, we are going to look into the ski jump career of Michael David Edwards, also known as Eddie the
0: Eagle. The Eagle. Did he fly?
1: You bet he did.
0: Ah, <laughs> uh, that sounds amazing. Can't wait to talk to you about it.